Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is a show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Our theme for this week, our big question is, how good was God when he created hell? Uh, This week you're going to discover, is hell real? Is hell burning right now? Is hell forever? But is the devil in charge of hell? Our co-host today is Pastor Joseph Matichik. Joseph's the Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome to you, Joseph. Thank you, Gary. It's wonderful to have you with us again. Yeah, looking forward to our program today. And I must apologise to our listeners for going off air there just as we were about to start. Uh, uh, please excuse that, uh, excuse that for happening. Joseph, tell us, how was your long weekend? It was a great long weekend, Gary. Yeah, in this part of Australia, we, we certainly had the, the full long weekend and um, it was great, great to spend time with the family, uh, catch up on a few things um, around the place. So we had we had a good time. It was certainly cold enough, wasn't it? Oh, it certainly was. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I hear you went hiking up at Anstey Hill. Yes, we did. Yeah, a great spot, a great climb. And um, yeah, it was a... a a, a good time. For those of you who live in the northern suburbs, suburbs of Adelaide, uh, you've really missed something if you haven't uh, climbed Anstey Hill. There is a hill there called Torture Torture Hill. It's uh, almost vertical, uh, not quite vertical, uh, but it really does burn the burn the calories. It's one area that if you haven't been to, you must go look up Anstey Hill uh, in the uh, in the northern suburbs of, of Adelaide. One of Adelaide's uh, hidden secrets. No, nothing to do with our topic, is there, Gary? Torture. Torture Hill. (laughs) Yeah, it could well have. It could well have. Yeah. Um, Let's come to our uh, some religious news uh, for for the week. You know, I'm amazed at some of the religious news that's actually happening at the present time. I uh, I I was reading just uh, just a day or two ago uh, concerning Russia. You know, I'm surprised how many places around our world where being a believer results in persecution. I was reading about Russia and particularly escalating persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, but this is something that I feel very keenly when anyone has their right to practice faith uh, challenged by the by the state. Uh, this is the independent uh, group, uh, Human Rights Watch, uh, that uh, that made this report, and this is what they said. Law enforcement authorities across Russia have dramatically escalated the nationwide persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses in the past 12 months. 32 Jehovah's Witnesses worshippers are currently behind bars for peacefully practising their faith. At least 313 people are facing charges or are on trial or have been convicted of criminal extremism for engaging in Jehovah's Witness activities that are sus and are, or are suspects in such cases. Authorities have carried out at least 780 house raids since 2017 in more than 70 towns and cities across Russia, more than half of them in 2019. Courts convicted 18 people in 2019, nine of whom received prison sentences ranging from two to six years for such activities as leading or participating in prayer meetings. 
For Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia, practicing their faith means risking their freedom. The raids and arrests stem from an April 2017 Russian Supreme Court ruling that banned all Jehovah's Witness organizations in Russia. It declares Jehovah's Witness Administrative Head Office, the head office for 395 uh, branches throughout Russia, and extremist organizations and ruled that all branches had to be shut down. This, uh, this to me as I read this was actually staggering stuff because, you know, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that increasingly within the Christian world, what we're finding is that more and more Christian organizations are actually being subject to persecution. Now, Joseph, just help us out on this one. What's, what is your thinking? Does the state ever have a role in regulating religion? The state uh, is there for, for law and order, Gary, uh, but I don't think that its role should be to, to get into areas of, of faith and conscience and to, 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 legislate, to legislate morality, to re- re- legislate religion. Uh, faith and religious matters are, are matters of the conscience. Uh, they should be left for, for individuals to choose that and not for the state to dictate that. Uh, you see... When we look back in history, Gary, every time uh, state or governing authorities have endeavoured to to legislate uh, spirituality and faith matters, it has always resulted in the persecution of of certain groups, particularly uh, particularly minority groups, uh, yeah. and uh, and so the, the the results have not not worked out well at all. I think it's interesting that you make that comment. Uh um, Joseph, because certainly the uh, the history uh, right from uh, the Middle Ages even Correct. has has certainly been one when governments come in and attempt to regulate morality, there tends to become persecution for one group or another. I suppose we could e- actually go as far back as you know. You think of the Waldensian Christians in the um, in northern Italy during the the fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth century. I mean, their history is absolutely abysmal for persecution. It is, it is. And history attests to that um, over the centuries, as you're citing. So on every occasion when uh, the state has endeavoured to get into religious affairs, it has turned out... Well, because they had turned out nasty and 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 very problematic and um, uh, been painful for 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 other religious faiths and um, yeah, Russia. What you've what you've read there is is just a, just an example of that. I had the opportunity to go to Russia a couple of times um, about five to seven years ago, and uh, we had to be careful, Gary, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, yeah, th- you could not uh, everywhere. Uh, Express your faith with with with, with total freedom. Uh, we've seen it in some parts throughout the Middle East, and we, we're seeing it still in in a couple of places around the world in other countries, uh, where certainly the Christian faith is not allowed to be expressed, mm-hmm. and uh, those Christian groups are uh, uh, suffer as a result, are persecuted, imprisoned, and sadly, some even have to uh, even lose their lives. Yeah, you know, this is a, a group that I'm conscious of that we we need to even pray. For, for these individuals because, you know, while I certainly come from a different theological perspective sure, to the Jehovah's way. Witnesses, um, I, I believe fully that they have the total right to be able to believe, to, to believe and practice their faith in a non-violent manner in the way that their conscience dictates. That's right, as, as you and I would want to be able to express our faith as well. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, that's so important. You know, I was uh, I was interested just a little while ago. I had the opportunity to share here in the studio just uh, just a day or two ago with David DeLima. David is the uh, South Australian representative of Family Life Australia, and uh, I really appreciated the things that he had to share because I I talked to him about an issue that is currently impacting Australia. Please enjoy uh, this interview. Welcome again to David DeLima. It's wonderful to have David in the studio with us today. David's the State Director for Family Voice Australia. Uh, welcome, David. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Gary. It's always good to be with you. I, I really appreciate the input that you're able to give on so many contemporary issues that are happening within our country right now. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to give a Christian commentary on what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there is so much that's happening at the present time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And David, tell me, the thing I'd love to bring up with you this week, if I can, is this subject of freedom of speech. Now, mm. tell me, David, freedom of speech, is that something that should be of concern to Christians in Australia? Absolutely. We need the freedom to be able to spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We need the freedom to be able to say that some uh, aspects of our society are good and some are bad, and some relationship choices are good ones and others are not so good. Mm-hmm. We need the freedom to be able to talk about what is right and wrong, what is sin, what is grace, mm-hmm. and that there is no other name by which we must be saved than that of the name of Jesus. If we lose that freedom, then we're going to lose everything. How would you respond to somebody who talks about hate speech? I mean, for example, I'm conscious that very recently we had the uh, Israel Folau uh, case in Australia against uh, Rugby Australia. And, uh, okay, Israel Folau at this point has appears to have come out um, with a win in that particular uh, case. But there are many that objected to what Israel actually said because they saw it as being hate speech. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, this is the cheapest form of attack, really. It's the ad hominem attack, the attack on the man instead of the ideas. Now, if people disagree with what he's said, let them disagree. Let them uh, express vigorously their dissent, and they can have a, a nice little polite slinging match. Mm. Uh, but to shut down debate by saying that what you've said to me is illegal because you are expressing hate uh, is another matter. Now, he wasn't expressing hate. He is expressing love for sinners and he's enunciating what the Bible says. And if people disagree with that, they're perfectly entitled to do so. Mm-hmm. But to shut the man down is a very, very dangerous step because once we start shutting people down, we prevent the freedom of, of expression, not only of the Christian good news, but really of anything that yeah. uh, would be uh, regarded as unacceptable in society. Yeah, and of course at that point you've got to come up and ask that question. What is actually regarded as acceptable to talk about because something that may offend you? Uh, what you've said is uh, an expression of hatred and we'll just shut down discussion and all we'll be able to do is smile at each other. Mm. So there's no progress in that. Progress requires the opportunity to explore freely various ideas. That's what our universities, for example, are for. They, they should be places of free expression where 
where people aren't fettered by political correct uh, constraints but have the opportunity for that exploration and for progress itself. It's interesting that you actually bring up the universities because I'm conscious that uh, certainly in in my day the university was actually the place of debate mm. and one of the things that uh, we treasured treasured most about uh, you know tertiary education was the fact that you would go along and there'd be people of different uh, viewpoints mm. and there would actually be formalised debates yeah. and uh, some of the entertainment on campus was always uh, when uh, two different groups from two different perspectives would get together and uh, they would have a, a respectful debate mm. uh, between each other um, cha- looking at the various viewpoints yes. that of any particular issue. Correct. They were challenging each other and testing the validity of each other's claims through discourse. Mm. Whereas now, uh, lecturers, visiting lecturers internationally, guest speakers coming into the country are being banned from universities. Yeah. Uh, or, if, or if they are allowed to speak, uh, security's got to be called in to make sure that writers don't break up the meetings. And for that reason alone, sometimes the universities has to say, well, that we can't have all this trouble happening. Mm. It's not safe anymore. So, sorry you can't come and speak. It's ridiculous that our universities have moved away from being centres of free debate and discussion to centres of political correctness. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that issue of political correctness is having a, a negative impact in our educational institutions? It is, because uh, students now, r- right across from tertiary to primary, are being indoctrinated in certain things. Consider the same-sex marriage debate a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, schools were were encouraging their students to celebrate same-sex relationships and if you didn't believe that you were regarded as someone that uh, was uh, to be ostracized or what's wrong mm. with you why mm. aren't you joining in with all the other children at, at high school i can really remember some of the debates that we were actually having in fact i will remember myself being involved in a debate on the euthanasia uh, question and it was really interesting to actually see that uh, individuals were appointed okay you're arguing for you're arguing against go and do your homework. It was part of the English class, and then the rest of the class sat down and appraised the argument. Okay, which uh, which group actually presented the better the better argument? Yes. Now, yes. of course, that's many years ago as to how that actually uh, took uh, took place. But to me, the thing that I, I suppose stood out to me is the way that there was the interplay of ideas, exactly. and as a result of the interplay of ideas, I think everyone grew. Uh, in a methodical in a methodical way indeed now last time we were speaking about the virtue of neutrality mm. in presiding over situations by all means if we have uh, a neutral context where a debate pro and against can be shared uh, then you have an opportunity for real discussion mm. but when you've got an agenda that's being driven yeah. uh, when you've got um, when you've made up your mind ahead of the discussion then you simply ostracize those who don't hold that view and you, and you shut them up and you really shame them in front of other students, which is which is entirely inappropriate for any educational context. Yeah, and that means that any uh, worthwhile ideas from the opposite perspective are actually not presented. That's right. They're either ridiculed or they're shut down completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a huge huge challenge to uh, to the world in which we're living today, mm. uh, David. I really appreciate you sharing on that because I I think it is becoming more and more relevant for the times that we're actually living. Yes, Gary, that's absolutely. Right. Blessings on your ministry. Thank you.
That was David DeLima. David's the uh, South Australian State Representative of Family Voice Australia. Uh, tell me, Joseph, what's your thinking? How important is freedom of speech in our country today? It's very important, Gary. Uh, freedom of speech enables uh, people, enables us as a country to be able to to hear all perspectives, all views, and then we're able to uh, not only make up our own minds, but but able to actually be, be better informed. If there is no freedom of speech, uh, there isn't an opportunity then for certain views to be shared, which means we don't get the full picture on matters. Mm. It's, it's really the only way that my views can actually be challenged, isn't it? You know, because I'm conscious right. that as a Christian, I have got particular views, and it's really important that my views actually be challenged by somebody else, um, so that I can see the validity of my own perspective. Exactly. And for others to be able to to hear other views and to be better informed. Uh, the, the truth has n- never been uh, a threat of being uh, challenged, of, of having other views shared. Uh, uh, truth and God's truth, I guess I'm referring to specifically uh, the truth of Scripture and, and, and the Gospel uh, will always be able to be, to be seen and to, to be validated and um, yeah, it has nothing to fear from, from um, being challenged like that and so mm. I think freedom to be able to express all views uh, really is very, very important. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, thank you so much for that Joseph, really do appreciate it. Uh, guys, look, let's come to some music. Uh, this is uh, Anthem Lights, Because He Lives and My Redeemer Lives. Please enjoy. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I
Trust the Bible? How could a loving God create a devil? How can a man called Jesus save me? And from what? Faith FM's free offer today is the Hidden Truth magazine, exploring your hard questions about faith and Christianity. To get your free Hidden Truth magazine, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Our co-host today is Pastor Joseph Matichik, and Joseph's the Executive Secretary for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Our theme for this week is a warm one for the very middle of winter. How good was God when he created hell? This week you're going to discover, is hell real? Is hell burning now? Is hell forever? Is the devil... In charge of hell. It was just a little while ago. I was uh, I was looking at the National Geographic, and I I came across an article that uh, had uh, some theological, some major theological overtones. The article was entitled "The Campaign to Eliminate Hell," and this was in May 13, a 2016 edition. The article started uh, by speaking in this way. Hell isn't as popular as it used to be. I'm not sure that hell was ever all that popular, Joseph, but apparently it's less popular today. Over the last 20 years, the number of Americans who believe in the fiery down under has dropped from 71% to 58%. Heaven, by contrast, the article says, fares much better and amongst Christians remains an almost universally accepted concept. It's interesting that heaven is still uh, in vogue, but hell seems to be dropping out of vogue. Underlying these statistics, the article says, is a conundrum that continues to tag at the conscience of some Christians who find it difficult to reconcile the existence of a just loving God with a doctrine that dooms billions of people to eternal punishment. Everlasting torment is intolerable from a moral point of view because it makes God to be a bloodthirsty monster who maintains an everlasting orchwicht for victims who he does not even allow to die, wrote the late Clark Pinnacock, an influential evangelical theologian. The once taboo subject is being openly discussed as a, by well-regarded Scholars who are publishing articles and best-selling books that rely on careful readings of the scripture to challenge traditional views. I found that interesting that here the National Geographic is able to point out that careful readings of the scripture is able to challenge a traditional view. Edwin Fudge, in his book, The Fire That Consumes, writes, what if the biblical foundations thought to endorse unending conscious torment are less secure than has been widely supposed? Fudge is amongst those who endorse an alternative teaching known as conditional immortality, which holds that after death, sinners simply cease to exist while those who are saved enjoy eternal life under God's grace. Although it's not a positive outcome, the National Geographic says, for the wicked, in fact it amounts to spiritual capital punishment, 
It's deemed a far more merciful and just fate than an eternity of torture. And then his book concludes in this way. My prediction is that, he says, that even within conservative evangelical circles, the, uh, this view of hell will be dominant in 10 to 15 years. I base that on how many well-known pastors secretly hold that view. I think that we are at a time and place when there's growing suspicion of adopting tradition for the sake of tradition. Wow. Joseph, what do you think of this? What, what, what do you think of this? I mean, hell is something that really does picture God as a, an offensive person. What do the scriptures actually say? Very interesting what what uh, this Edward Fudge is quoted here in this article, Gary, and, and what what this uh, article from um, uh, from the National Geographic is referring to, uh, and, and the fact that there is this moving away from the traditional view of hell. Mm. Uh, it, it talked there about the fact that people are starting to that there's a more careful reading of scripture. Rather than that is actually really significant, isn't it? Because it is. what we actually get here is this understanding that, look, let's see what Scripture is really saying. And the article's actually saying, rather than following a traditional point of view. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, the traditional view has been around for a very long time, Gary. Uh, it's actually based on the idea, the, the traditional view of hell, I should say, is actually based on the idea of an immortal soul. Uh-huh. That was something that was uh, sort of looked at last week on on this show. Uh, an understanding of death and what happens to the body and the soul, shall we say, is directly con- connected with an understanding of hell. Mm. Uh, if you hold the idea that there is such a thing as an immortal soul, then you will hold the idea of hell being a place of eternal torment. In other words, if the person is eternal, then after they die, something has to happen to them. That's right. They have to go somewhere. And so that means they've either got to go up, and we all like to go up, (laughs) or we've got to go... Down. Down. And that's not nice. And and the traditional view of the down, if you want to put it that way, is that it's a place of eternal torment, a place of of burning, or ongoing burning. Now, for many years... For hundreds of years ago, we could even say, Gary, down through the ages, that the, 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 the church has used hell to motivate people with fear, to, mm-hmm. to motivate them to, in, into believing in, in God, to following God. We think of the, uh, think of the medieval church. Uh, we think of just you know, selling indulgences, for instance, so people could buy years out of purgatory and hell and things like that. I'm reminded um, of that famous uh, preacher in 1741, Jonathan Edwards uh, uh, preached this sermon that's titled, uh, and, and listen to the title, Sinners <laughs> in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh, I love that title. This is actually a, a well-known, well-renowned, you know, there's almost every uh, minister that's been to theological college becomes aware of this particular sermon. Tell us more about it. <laughs> well, you know, j- j- this is the title itself, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry, angry God. God. You kind of got this, you're shaking and you've got to pick and well, in, in the sermon, he 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 uh, cut a few thoughts from it. He says it would be dreadful to suffer this fierceness and wrath of Almighty God for one moment, but you must suffer it for all eternity. 
no end to this exquisite, horrible misery, a boundless duration before you. You will absolutely despair of ever having any deliverance. You must wear out long ages, conflicting with this almighty, merciless vengeance. And then, when so many ages have actually been spent by you in this manner, you will know that all is but a point, a dot, to what remains, so that your punishment will indeed be infinite. Wow. You I mean, it's just <laughs> st- incredible, Gary. Uh, people burning alive forever. If, if the traditional view of hell is that it's an eternal place of torment, then you've got this idea of rapists, for example, together with a petty thief, together with those who simply chose not to believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. all suffering forever and ever. Mm. It is difficult to imagine a more terrifying idea. Mm. Is that what God is like? Now, is this what the Bible teaches? Is this the consequence for rejecting God? We have to be clear, Gary, that the Bible does speak of hell. And it, it speaks of the fate of the wicked. The Bible is clear that there are simply two choices. There is, there is a heaven uh, that, uh, to win, uh, hell to shun. There, 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 you know, we, we can choose to be saved mm-hmm. or to be lost. Mm-hmm. The Bible is clear. There, there are only one of two ways. And so the Bible does refer to, to hell. Now, this, we will explore this. This will be explored as the week goes on. Yeah. But first, what's really important for us to do is to actually look at the nature of God, Gary, mm. to explore the, the character of God. Because you see, every Bible teaching must support what God is like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, every Bible teaching or every doctrine, we could say every, every biblical doctrine is actually a, a picture of God. It's one facet of who God is. In other words, what actually takes place is that the way a person acts normally comes out of their character. For example, we know that, for example, Adolf Hitler was one who was renowned for doing horrible and terrible things. But that came because of there were certain beliefs within his character that that, that meant that he was enabled to do those horrible things. We need to, this is where we really need to know what is our God really like? That's right. What is his character like? Because when we know what his character is like, we can start to come to an understanding of how he is likely to actually act. Exactly right. Because God will never act in a manner that is inconsistent with his character, Gary. Indeed. Uh, And so, whatever our understanding of hell may be, it has to match with the character of God or with the biblical picture of God. Of what God is like. That's exactly right. So what is that picture of mm. God? Mm. Point number one is, is we look at this, this aspect of who God is. Now, let me share from First John chapter 4 and verse 8, Gary, where the Bible uh, very uh, plainly states, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Mm. That is our fundamental, that is our foundational description of who God is. God 
is love. Mm. Notice it doesn't say that God is loving or is like love. Now, he is, is that, but it's it's, it's far more than that. Mm. He is love. He's personified love. He, he, he is the very essence of it. And so out of that, everything that he does is an act of love. Mm. Uh, now, if we go on, Luke chapter 6 uh, in verse 36, uh, the words of Jesus here referring to, to, to our Heavenly Father God, he says here, Be merciful just as your Father, that is, just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Mm. So another point here about what, who God is, God is merciful. Clearly God is merciful. Then, then we notice in Romans, well, in Romans chapter 3, it talks about that he is just, but there's there's even a clearer statement of Gary over in Revelation, Book of Revelation, chapter fifteen, uh, where where it it, it it describes praise to God. Revelation chapter fifteen, verse three it says, "Just and true are your ways, mm. O Lord God Almighty." Yeah. Just and true. So God is love. Yeah. God is merciful, but God is also just. Mm-hmm. Now that's unique. He is both he is both merciful and just. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to that. Okay. We'll come back to that. But let's just just let's just uh, for now note the fact that that uh, who God is is that He's love, and that He is both merciful and just. Mm. As we develop this picture, we then look at the next aspect. Then what is He like? Now you might think, hang on, we've we've already talked about that. No, no, no. We've just looked at who God is as as a being, as His essence. But now let's unpack this a little bit further. What God is like, uh, and this is this is where we find some other great pictures. Gary, Matthew chapter seven, uh, verses nine to eleven. Jesus here speaks, and he says in Matthew seven verse nine, "Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake?" If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Notice what God is compared to here. Mm-hmm. He's compared to a heaven, a, a parent. A parent. Uh, and, and we link that with over in Psalm 103. Uh, where the psalmist says, Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who love and fear him. So God is like a a parent. Uh, God is compared to a parent. Good parents, yes, they will discipline their children, but they do not punish them in anger. Mm. Uh, so here's another aspect of what God is compared to. He's compared to a, 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 as a parent. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded, Lord, uh, Gary, of, of the other description in the book of Isaiah, uh, where it, in contrast to uh, whether a mother would ever forget her child, uh, it says that God will never forget his people. So mm. another, another parental image of, of, of what God is like. So that's what God is like. The third aspect is this, what God has done. How God has, 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 has shown his love, Gary. How God has shown his love. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is a cri- critical verse. Mm-hmm. And I think this will be looked at again during this week. But let's, 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 let's look at it. Romans chapter 6 verse, 30, verse 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our mm. Lord. Mm. 
Mm. Now, I don't want to uh, run ahead of what's going to be shared as the week goes on, as we as we particularly oh, unpack I think, this. I think but, we but need it, to on this one. But yes. it, even in this verse, Gary, we, we've already in just in just a nutshell, we've got already uh, the base of hell. Mm. Notice, notice what it says: the wages of sin is death. Death, yes. And the gift of God is eternal life. So you've got death versus eternal life. Mm. And now, death, by definition in the scriptures, is a cessation of life. That's exactly in, right. In all forms. That's, that's what we found last week. Exactly, exactly. So that's why this topic of hell is inextricably linked with the topic of death, which we looked at last week. Mm. It, it's it's so so much connected. Yeah, that's that's a, whatever hell is. We've already got this idea. It's not some some kind of existence, an ongoing existence of torment or, or whatever. Uh, it's it's a cessation of life uh, because life is only possible through Jesus Christ. Through, through uh, it's a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. He is the giver of life, and if people choose to accept it, they can have life. If they choose not to, well, they don't have life. That's that's about as simple as it gets. Uh, then to unpack this a little bit further, what God has done. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So the fascinating thing is, the wage of sin is death. Jesus bore that, that wage of sin. Mm. Jesus took on the punishment of sin. Uh, Isaiah 53 talks about that, that Jesus took on all, all our sins. And so coming back to that, that passage that we looked at, in, uh, that are alluded to in Romans, but the, the concept of God being both just uh, and merciful, notice here that the Bible says that we are justified freely by his grace. This is Romans 3.24, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to, re- to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, now notice these words, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So Gary, the Bible says that God is merciful Mm. in that he doesn't punish us for our sins. Mm. But he's just in that he put the punishment on Jesus. So there is justice. There is justice. There is justice right there. You can see here the extent to which God went to save humans. Mm. The cross shows us what sin is. This is so important because there are many who would say, yes, God is merciful, but he's also just. Therefore, we have to burn in hell uh, for because there is justice. But what you're suggesting here is that Justice was actually satisfied at the cross. That's exactly right, Gary. We, 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 it was satisfied on the cross, and we see that what sin does. When we look at the cross, we see the consequence of sin. Mm. Because on the cross, Jesus cried out, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experiences. So sin is is. It, the wage of sin is death. Sin is ultimately separation from God, choosing to go away from God. Jesus experiences that. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's the power of this. This is incredible, Gary, and, and it's, it's quite exciting in a sense that uh, a person who chooses to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, 
does not have to experience eternal separation from God mm. because Jesus has experienced that. Yeah. However, those who choose not to respond to that wonderful, gracious act of God uh, will experience separation from God, which is going to be eternal death, I, which is hell. I, I, okay. Now we're going to um, uh, we're going to dig into this one as the whole week does does develop because I think it's important for us to understand this issue of God's justice and because uh, so many have made a great deal about this particular issue that we need to dig into that and tomorrow that's exactly what we're going to going to do but Joseph right now let's just have a little bit of a break it's uh, uh, we're coming up to uh, very close to closing time. Let's come to uh, to Heritage. This uh, this is a song, No More Night.
trust the Bible? How could a loving God create a devil? How can a man called Jesus save me? And from what? Faith FM's free offer today is the Hidden Truth magazine, exploring your hard questions about faith and Christianity. To get your free Hidden Truth magazine, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Joseph uh, uh, Matachik is in our uh, hot seat today. Uh, he's the Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And this week, our big question is, how good was God when he created hell? And Joseph, thank you so much for what you've been sharing with us. So many important points there. The character of God is really central to this, isn't it? Because what you find is a person's, a person acts out of their character. And we need to know what our God is really like. Bring it together for us, Joseph. Yeah, so what we have seen so far essentially is that yeah, God is love. That that that's that's the essence of his being. That that's who he is and everything that he does is is an action of of his love. Uh his love was ultimately demonstrated on the cross, Gary, uh because instead of uh placing the punishment of sin on us as humans, he placed it on Jesus. Uh so he's merciful towards us, uh but he, but he's just in the sense that the punishment was still uh Acted out, and um, and so Jesus is it takes the punishment in in our place. That's how God can be both merciful and just at the same time. Mm. And uh, the the result of that, Gary, is the fact that uh, uh, people uh, who choose to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Uh, can have the gift of eternal life. That's what the Bible says. Uh, the consequence of not choosing that, the Bible says, is, is death, uh, and that's that's separation. That's separation from God, and uh, that's something that's going to be unpacked as 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 the week goes on. Uh, it's. As, as we look at this idea, uh, the whole idea of justice of God and whatever, it's interesting, Gary, that, that we touched on the fact that this, the traditional view of hell has been around for a long, long time. It actually mm-hmm. even has some of its origins in, in pagan ideas about gods and deity does, because yeah. the pagan ideas were a couple of concepts one the gods had to be appeased mm. you, you had to you had to appease them and uh, 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 yeah, with rituals and sacrifices and things like that to appease their wrath uh, and then the idea is that um, there was the threat of eternal imprisonment in, in, the, in the underworld well when we look at God and when we look at the Bible we find that uh, the God of the Bible is nothing like that, Gary. And these beliefs you've just mentioned actually are not found in the Christian scriptures. That's right. Yeah, the God of the Bible is not one who is a, needs to be appeased uh, because He's demonstrated His own love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. We don't appease God. Uh, he, uh, he, you know, Jesus has paid the sacrifice for our sins. And uh, and secondly, uh, there isn't this threat of eternal torment. Um, there, there is simply the statement that if we choose not to accept that gift of eternal life, uh, the consequence is is eternal death. Um, and so God. Is God is love even in the way He deals with those who are eternally lost, Gary? Mm. And you know this is so important because you know my um, uh, my children, you know, when they were growing up, I might punish them as a father, but you know the one thing I would never do is flog them and flog them and abuse them. You know that is totally reprehensible. A good father doesn't do that. That's right. 
That's right. And uh, and so the, there's one final aspect here, Gary, as we, as we bring this to, to a close, uh, and that is how does God feel about those who choose not to love him? Mm. So how does God actually really feel about those who, who we could say are, are going to be eternally lost? The Bible, again, is very clear, Gary. Uh, very important passage of Scripture, Ezekiel chapter 33, uh, verse 11, the Bible says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That is critical to understand. Mm. God says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways. Turn, turn from your evil ways. So, heart of God is a God who doesn't take any pleasure in, in those who choose to, to not accept him. This is almost the picture of a heavenly father who is almost weeping over children who have moved away from him. Well, not even almost. Uh, we come to Jesus, for example, and uh, we have that uh, reference in, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, mm. uh, Gary, where he, he was looking overlooking the city of Jerusalem, which chose not to accept him, and he's, he, 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 he did weep. The Bible states that he weeped. He wept, and, and, he, and he expressed it as, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. It, it, it is. It, it's, it's, it's anguish uh, over, over that, not, not uh, some sort of uh, enjoyment or pleasure, pleasure as a result. Uh, and so the final passage that I want to leave is Second Peter chapter 3, where it says that God is patient not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Mm. God longs for the salvation of all, but he will force no one. Because God is love, the devil and all who have chosen not to accept God's love will be mercifully and justly destroyed and cease to exist. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like we mentioned there at the outset, Scripture is clear on this, yeah, and it's it's encouraging, and it's fascinating and interesting, to, Gary, to see that people who are carefully, as the National Geographic article was stating, carefully looking at Scripture, are noticing that what Scripture describes is not what has been the traditionally held view for many, many years. And if you think about it, there are many beliefs in the Christian church which yeah. have their foundation in tradition rather than the scriptures, aren't there? That's right. That's right. And th- th- this is one of them. And so it's, it's great to be able to go back to scripture, to, to go to scripture, to look at the character of God and to see that God is love even in the way he deals with with the eternal, with the destiny of, of the wicked and this topic of hell. And that's the subject that we're going to be dealing with uh, tomorrow uh, and uh, Thursday and Friday. This is so important. Tomorrow we're actually going to follow through the scriptures. We're going to follow passage after passage and just look at what scripture does actually say on this subject. This is a really important one. Uh, that, uh, that subject is really key. How good was God when he created hell? And you know, we're going to discover that we've got a good God because that's what his character mm. is actually like mm. and his works flow out of his character. Joseph, I'm just wondering, we need to finish. How would you like to pray for us just as we finish? Happy to do that. Let's pray together. Oh, dear God, we just want to thank you and we praise you that you are a God of love, that you are both merciful and 
and just and that you have demonstrated that um, in the greatest display on the cross of Calvary in that uh, we uh, do not have to be punished for our sins but Jesus took that punishment for us and you're both merciful to us and just towards the penalty of sin Lord and uh, we thank you uh, that you are love even in the way you 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 treat uh, all people, especially those who choose not to want to respond to your love. Thank you for uh, the way that you act out of love. And I pray for every person that might that's listening, tuning in wherever they are, that you will bless them, Lord, that uh, you will help them to grasp even deeper perhaps your un- uh, an understanding of your character, your character of love in the way that you treat us, the way you treat everybody. Thank you for, for people who are searching, for who are wanting to take seriously what the Bible has to say on every topic, including this somewhat difficult topic of hell. Thank you that we can see you in the midst of this topic. And bless each person today is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it does look like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor Joseph Matichuk on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when we dig more into this subject from the Bible and ask how good was God when he created hell. Really look forward to seeing you, but until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy Bill and Gloria Gaither. This could be the dawning, the breaking of the day.